You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Why don't you just give your neighbor a high five and say, God's at work, God's at work. Go ahead, high fives in the house, God's at work. God is at work, amen, amen. Love high fives in church, especially for the glory of God. Hey, uh, do you got a Bible with you tonight? You got a Bible with you? I hope you brought a physical Bible that you can actually touch as opposed to something digital on some phone. I'm, I'm such a paper guy, whole Bible in the hands. But anyways, anyways, grab a Bible, make sure you're gonna need your Bible in this series. I mean, every series we need your Bible, but as ever a series, you need your Bible. This is the one for sure as well. And please turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9 is where we are this evening, this weekend uh, together. Hebrews chapter 9, and we begin a series that, Lord willing, will take us right up until Christmas, which is entitled, Oh, the Blood. Oh, the Blood, a study of Hebrews uh, chapter 9 and 10. Now, one of the main goals of this series is that we would find a greater theology as to the blood of Christ, a greater theology as to the blood of Christ resulting in a greater love for Jesus Christ, okay? That's why we do what we do. That's why we study the Word of God. Today and this time right now, it's seeking to have a greater theology, specifically in regards to the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb that was slain, resulting in a greater love again for Jesus Christ. Why is this so important? Because you can't truly love God unless you truly know God. We've said that in the past. We'll say it again. If you want to truly be filled with the love of Jesus Christ, you must have a theology of Jesus Christ. If you want to truly understand the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, you must have a theology of the blood of Jesus Christ. And there are so many Christians swimming in the shallow end, it's time to get to the deep end. There's so many Christians who are on the bottom rungs of the ladder in terms of sanctification and growing in Christ, it's time to climb a few more rungs in the ladder to understand just how awesome Jesus Christ is as it relates to his blood being spilt out for us. Life is too short not to grow in Jesus Christ, loved ones, and so we are seeking then to grow in him and his word and to apply this beautiful theology that has transformed our hearts and continues to that we might give him more glory and love him more and be used of him within this one life that we have. We want a greater theology so we can love Jesus Christ more. Hebrews 9 and 10 is going to do that for us within this series. The word of God is without error. The word of God has been written by God. The word of God is coming for your mind and your heart now. You ready? You ready? The word of God is coming for you and for me right now. Four main purposes within this series. I'm gonna, just going to lay this out right now. Four types of people that I'm hoping to reach through God's Word right now on the screen beside you. Here are the goals again for this series. Four main purposes. And here's the first one. We're seeking to educate the uninformed. We want to educate the uninformed. We're tackling within Hebrews 9 and 10 the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. We're comparing the blood of goats and calves to the blood of the Lamb of God. Some people for the very first time will understand the power of the blood of Christ. And I believe in this series and even now tonight, this weekend, people will be saved for the very first time as they for the first time understand the power and the riches and the glory that is found specifically in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We're seeking to educate the uninformed. Secondly, we're seeking to grow the immature. To grow the immature in this series. Some are here right now and you know the blood of Jesus Christ has saved you. But if you were to be asked exactly how and why the blood of Jesus Christ has saved you, you could not give an appropriate biblical answer. Listen, that changes now. That changes now. That changes within this series. It's time to enter into the old tabernacle and the old covenant and learn. It's time to enter into the old covenant tabernacle. Listen, to, in order to fully appreciate the true and heavenly tabernacle that is found in Jesus Christ. We enter into the old tabernacle to go to the new 
and the true and heavenly tabernacle that is found in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we want to give him glory. We want to give him praise. We want to give him love. Again, again, life is too short not to grow in Jesus Christ. To educate the uninformed, to grow the immature, and thirdly this, to deepen or strengthen the mature in Jesus Christ as well. Some of us are here right now, and we've stood by the cross. We've seen the blood. We've even shed tears of love and joy over Christ. But if we're honest, if we're honest, it's been a while since this has happened. And maybe we've been weakened by the world. Maybe we've been found indifferent with the things of the world. Maybe that we've been kind of a little bit numb to the affection and the glory that's found in Jesus Christ. We might have a theology, but again, if we're honest, our hearts have drifted. It's time in this series to reunite our hearts and our minds in Christ. We're trying to deepen and strengthen the mature and then the fourth purpose or goal for this series is this. We want to stoke the fire of us all. We want to stoke the fire of us all. I love, you know, if you know me at all, you know I love going by side of fire and taking the poker and then seeing the embers turn over and stoking it and then putting a log on and, and the fire begins bright. I'm praying that's happening in your heart and mind through the series right now. We're seeking to stoke all the fires of our hearts for a passion and a love in Jesus Christ. Listen, through beautiful theology, that will result in such a great love for Jesus Christ. Oh, may it be so. The power, the beauty, the impact, the glory that's found in the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, all of this, all of this resulting in a greater love for him and what he's done. That's what we're seeking to do. Now, to prime your hearts as to where we're going, again, over the next several weeks, I want to read some verses for you in Hebrews 9. And 10 to again allow you to see and to be expectant, and maybe verses you haven't seen in a while. I want to read them for you before we get into our text for this evening. Look at uh, Hebrews 9, uh, verse 11. Verse 11 says this Hebrews 9 11, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Check out verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. But by means of his own blood, thus securing, look what it says, thus securing an eternal redemption. Loved ones, all the blood. All the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13 of chapter 9. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a, of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ? How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Loved ones, all oh, the blood. All the blood. Chapter 9, verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Oh, the blood. Hebrews 9, verse 26, second half. But as it is, he has appeared once for all, Jesus, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, by the sacrifice of his blood. Oh, the blood. Hebrews 10. Verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is not impossible for the blood of Christ, the blood of the Lamb, to take away sins. Oh, the blood. Hebrews 10, 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. A single offering of his blood. An offering of his blood. Oh, the blood. And then this is where we end up. Look at Chapter 10, verse 19. I want you to see this right here. I want to give you a little bit of a heads up. Notice this. All the theology of Hebrews leads to this point, especially the theology of Hebrews 9 and 10, speaking and unpacking the beautiful glory, the blood that is found in Jesus Christ, spilt for us, the perfect blood. Notice what the author of Hebrews does now. In verse 19, he hinges all the doctrine and all the theology on this one word in verse 19. Therefore, therefore, he says... Brothers, sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, how is that possible? By the blood of Jesus. 
Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, notice, notice verse 22, let us draw near, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience of our bodies, washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. All of that is hinged on the reality of the blood of Jesus Christ. Loved ones, oh, the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where we're going, and that's where we start today. You excited? I hope you're excited. I'm excited. God's going to speak. Hey, let's pray before we do anything else, because we need the Lord to do it only he can do. Oh God, your word had just said right there, therefore, therefore, brothers and sisters, because we're able to now have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, everything, everything comes down to the blood of Jesus. Oh God, open up minds. Please open up hearts. Allow people to see, oh God, for the first time ever. Please, Lord, would you do that? that you might be glorified, Lord, even right now in the service this weekend, would you cause eyes to see and ears to hear? I beg of you, I beg of you, I beg of you, Lord, just as we have witnessed lives being changed, Lord, in video before us, I pray in real time, real life right now, we would see lives changed, God, as you speak through your word because of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, may it be so, Lord. May even now, just our hearts are beating a little bit faster. Our minds are a little more in tune, Lord. Our expectancy and faith is growing to say, God, you've written a book and you desire to give us a word and you will do that right now. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, we seek you. Jesus Christ, we love you. Holy Spirit of God, we need you, Lord. Speak now, speak now, oh God, into our lives in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Let me hear you. Amen. Amen. All right, so as we get into our text now from Hebrews chapter 9, we're looking at the first 14 verses this weekend. As we drop ourselves down into Hebrews 9, a very important question is this, what is our context? I provided much of that for you already, but the book of Hebrews has one overarching and pervasive goal. The real goal of this letter is to encourage the church, listen, as to the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews is written to uh, Christians under trial and in trial. And so what the author is doing here is, again, pointing them to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of this. No matter where you are in life, no matter how difficult life becomes, you will never stare in the face of Jesus Christ and be disappointed. You will never gaze into the face and the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ and feel inadequate or feel in the sense that there's something more to gain because he is supreme. He is all. The more we see him for who he is, the more we are satisfied in Jesus Christ as well. As you travel through the book of Hebrews, you start to notice a very clear theme developing. The theme really is this. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is the one of only. When you start in the early chapters, you find out that Jesus is superior to the prophets. Then you find out that Jesus is superior to the angels. Then the author explains Jesus is superior to Moses and Joshua. Then the priesthood of Jesus, we find out, is superior to that of the priesthood of Aaron. Then we see, just before chapter 8, the ministry of Jesus is superior to the ministry of any other person who has come before him, including Melchizedek. The author of Hebrews is making arguments all throughout this letter of making comparisons and contrast. What the author wants, he wants an understanding of the old in order for his readers to be blown away by the appreciation of the new. In chapter 8, he's saying this, you think the old covenant is good? Wait till you get a hold of the new covenant. Wait till you understand how much the old covenant is pointing ahead to the realities and the glory found in the new covenant. In chapter 8, again, he's saying this at the end. Notice in chapter 8, verse 13 now. Chapter 8, verse 13, he says this, and speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one, chapter 8, verse 13, a new covenant. He makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You see, he's explaining to his readers, you understand the old, but you appreciate the new. And when the new came, the old was no longer needed. And so this takes us to our text now. We have some amazing, rich stuff to go through. And what we're going to try to do together right now in God's Word is really three main things uh, this time, this evening together, we're seeking to, number one, reflect, number two, to recognize some truth, and then, Lord willing, number three, we're going to rejoice together. 
We are going to rejoice in the reality of how much the blood of Christ has done for us. Again, to see it in new ways and awesome ways. We're going to reflect. We're going to recognize. And then, Lord willing, as I said, we're going to rejoice. Let's start then in the first point, which is this number one, reflect. Reflect, loved ones, upon the covenant of preparation. The covenant of preparation. Look at Hebrews 9, verse 1. It says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place for holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand, the table, and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place or the holy of holies. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding manna and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, of course, the Ten Commandments. Verse 5, above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things, the author says, we cannot now speak in detail. Now notice here, the author is wanting his audience to reflect upon the first covenant to recall the details of the original tabernacle itself. Why? Why? Why does he want to do this? Because he's building an argument that will have a very powerful conclusion. He's walking us through the history of redemption as it relates to the tabernacle. He's doing great biblical theology. He's leading us through the tabernacle that was originally set up. He's going to point us to the tabernacle found in Jesus Christ in order for the immense and beautiful appreciation, again, of how much Jesus has done and how much his blood, of course, means to this world. In verse 1, the author highlights the earthly sanctuary of the old that points to the heavenly sanctuary of the new. He gives specifically the details of the old covenant tent or the old covenant tabernacle, and he lists them. So notice there in verses 1 and 2, notice we have the first section or the holy place. Then we have the second section in verse 3 and 4, which is the most holy place. The items in the first section are the lampstand, the bread of the presence, and I'm going to clarify this in just a couple of moments, and the altar of incense. In the second section within the tent or the tabernacle itself, we have the Ark of the Covenant that contained the covenant of God, again being the Ten Commandments. And within the Ark, it says, was also the urn holding manna. And the manna there that was in a jar was a reminder of God's provision, and it was also a reminder of Israel's ungratefulness. God provided manna. The Israelites got fed up with that. They wanted more. They complained about Egypt. The manna was there to remind them of God's provision, but also a warning against their ingratitude, their ungratefulness towards God as well. We also read in these verses, by the Ark of the Covenant, there was Aaron's staff that budded. Why was Aaron's staff there? It was a reminder of Israel's rebellion against God's authority. God used that staff to bud to show them how rebellious they actually were. And then finally, in the most holy place that sits perfectly on top of the Ark of the Covenant, we find the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the cover that fit upon, and, and gold and golden mercy seat cover that sat upon the Ark of the Covenant, which was again called the mercy seat. Blood was sprinkled upon it. It served also as the footstool of God's throne. You had the holy place, then you had the most holy place. In the most holy place, the holy of holies, was the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, and cherubim were carved out of one solid piece of gold. That is especially where the glory of God dwelt. That was the, the holy of holies of holies was where the cherubim were on the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant within the most holy place. Now it says here in verse 4, that the golden altar of incense was in the most holy place. Yet we know from elsewhere in Scripture that was not the case. We know the altar of incense was right up against the curtain of the Holy of Holies, but not in it. So why would the author say this thing? Because surely he knows a lot and knows what he's talking about. Almost every commentator agrees the reason he says this, he was associating the altar of incense, which rested up against the curtain, because the priest on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, would burn incense to form a cloud of smoke that would carry over over the ark of the covenant because he wanted to shield his lights from the glory of God because any wrong step he would instantly die that's how holy that moment was 
So the altar of incense was right up against the veil, which was associated with the Holy of Holies and used especially on the Day of Atonement. And that's why he's saying it's so closely related, again, to the Holy of Holies. Now, now I just said a lot of detail right there of the tabernacle. And if you're like me, man, you're just trying to picture it all in your head and, and you desperately want a visual, well... I'm providing you some visuals, all right? Because I find this so helpful. I want you to find this so helpful too. And we're going to get to why the author is doing this in special ways in the moments to come. This is a great picture here of the tent, of the perimeter of the tabernacle that was set up in the wilderness, of course, as the Israelites traveled around, specifically under the instructions of God. And so here we have right here, we have the bronze altar here used for the sacrifices of the animals. And then you have the bronze basin here for ceremonial washings and, of course, the gate. And all of this comes with tremendous imagery as it points towards the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Well, and then specifically here, then we have the tabernacle itself where all these descriptions that we just read about. Let's get a close-up now of the tabernacle itself, okay? And so here we have right here, here we have the golden lampstand. And then here we have over on this side the table of the bread of the presence. This is the holy place, the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, from the holy of holies. Here's the altar of incense that we just talked about that rests up against the curtain. The priest would come in the day of atonement. The, the, all the incense and cloud of smoke would roll in. Here's the Ark of the Covenant as well. This is where the priests regularly did their offerings and rituals. Once a year the high priest would enter into the holy of holies and we'll get to that in just a second as well. But this is what every Jewish reader who was reading Hebrews 9 verses 1 to 5, they would have this picture in their minds and they would understand what is happening and what is going on. And this is what the author of Hebrews is going to use for a beautiful, beautiful point and, and, and powerful aspect of theology as we go forward as well. So notice at the end now of Hebrews 9 verse 5, notice we read this, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Of these things, what the author is saying right there is the point of his message is not in the exact items of the details of verses 1 to 5. He's saying that the argument is going to keep building. What we can't do, though, what I want to make sure we do right here is I just want to point out a couple of things before we move on because I think it's so beautiful and so glorious and some of you have never seen this before as it relates to the covenant of preparation because the old covenant was ultimately pointing to the preparation of the new covenant. Within the holy place, the first section specifically, three items. The table of the bread of presence, the golden lampstand, and the altar of incense. The, tabor, the table of the bread of the presence. On that table every week were 12 loaves. 12 loaves of bread symbolizing, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. On the Sabbath, the priests would come in and they would eat this bread each Sabbath. The reason they did this, and they replaced it with new loaves for the next Sabbath, they would eat the bread because when you share a meal, that's an indication of relationship and fellowship. The priests then were indicating their relationship with God, the fellowship they had, his sustaining presence upon his people. That was why the table of the bread of the presence was there. The golden lampstand represented God's revelation of himself. His illuminating presence and leading them again by fire by night and showing them the way and again his glory being revealed. The altar of incense, incense symbolized the prayers of God's people. The prayers to God and their need for him. But this is where this really takes on meaning is we see how with each symbol ultimately this is pointing ahead to the glory of Jesus Christ the Lamb of God who's going to come. Think of the bread of presence. It was Jesus who said in John chapter 6, I'm the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never go hungry. The sustenance of Christ leading to fellowship with God, the true bread of life is Jesus Christ. Think of the lampstand. It was Jesus who said, I'm the light of the world. In John chapter 1, it says, the word of God became flesh. In him was life, and him was the light of men. The lampstand ultimately pointing ahead to the glory of Jesus Christ. The altar of incense representing the prayers of the people. In Hebrews 7 and Romans 8, specifically says that Jesus Christ is in heaven currently interceding on our behalf. The bread, the light, the one who prays on our behalf. You see, this old covenant earthly tabernacle is ultimately pointing to the heavenly and true tabernacle, which is found in Jesus Christ. And the final verse of wonder for me found in the Gospel of John is when it says in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt literally is tabernacled. 
The very tabernacle itself is ultimately pointing to the fellowship that is found with God in his son Jesus Christ to the point that God loves you and me so much he sent his son and the word of God Jesus Christ dwelt, tabernacled among us. The very presence of God and the glory of God was sent to earth to save the world. Awesome. The covenant of preparation takes us to point two. We reflect upon that. Now we, number two, we recognize now the blood of limitation. Recognize now, loved ones, the blood of limitation. Look at verse six. It says, these preparations, referring back to verses one to five, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, holy place, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, the holy of holies, the most holy place, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers, notice, for himself, the high priest had sins of himself, of course, and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered, listen, listen, that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. The time of reformation is the inauguration of Jesus Christ. It's when he comes and he puts in a whole new standard and a whole new way. So the argument of the author here is growing from verses 1 to 5, and now it's continuing on in verses 6 here to 10, and it's gaining serious momentum. Oh Lord, help us learn, because this is so beautiful. Look again at verse 6. The preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. Into the second, only the high priest, once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the intentional sins of the people. So notice here, the first section of the tabernacle, the priests enter into regularly. What does this mean? This means there was indirect fellowship with God. They were close to God, and yet access to God's actual presence was denied. Consider then the message being sent here within the old covenant tabernacle system. The priests going into the holy place, they knew God's presence was behind the curtain, and yet they knew the curtain served as the barrier to finding God's actual presence. Think about that. They were in the weekly activities of the holy place, but they saw a curtain there which reminded them all the time that they were actually limited in finding the very presence of God himself. They knew where God's presence was, but they knew they were forbidden to go into the presence of God. So the focus of verses 6 to 10 from the author is really on the curtain that separated the people from God. The curtain of the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, communicated to God's people that a holy God and sinful man cannot dwell together. Make sure you get that. The curtain was, was communicating to God's people, I am holy, you are not, we cannot dwell together ultimately. You cannot reside where I am. That's what the impact of the most holy place from the holy place was signifying. Now, some might suggest this. Well, the Day of Atonement solved that problem. I disagree. Emphatically, actually. The Day of Atonement didn't solve the problem. The Day of Atonement heightened the problem that God is holy and man is sinful. What is the Day of Atonement? Well, in verse 7, we understand the Day of Atonement involved the high priest entering into the most holy place once a year, you had a sinful priest who makes sacrifice for himself and the sins of the people, but he makes a temporary sacrifice for his sins and the people's sins. So can you see there in verse 7 that this day was a sacrifice for the unintentional sins of the people? So if we think clearly right now, the Day of Atonement actually proclaims just how limited God's presence really is. One man, once a year, resulting in a temporary atonement that would have to be done again. Loved ones, this is the blood of limitation. Right here, the blood of goats and calves is the blood of limitation. It is a reminder again of how forbidden they actually were to dwell in the fullness of God's presence and be in true relationship with him. So recognize this part. Recognize, recognize the blood of limitation. And this is the very point of verse 8. You've got to look at verse 8. This is the point of verse 8. 
by this, the Holy Spirit, which is amazing in itself, right there it's saying the Holy Spirit wrote the word of God. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. So the Day of Atonement can be depressing on one hand because there you have one man once a year, temporary atonement for sins. you got to do it all over again. You're not fully accessing the presence of God. But the Day of Atonement can also be thrilling on the other hand. Can you see it in verse 8? Can you see the thrill? Can you see the eternal abundance of hope found in verse 8? It's in one particular phrase. The phrase it says is not yet opened. You see that? You see that? You see that? The day of atonement is so limited, but points forward to the day where God's presence would be unlimited. So notice in verse 8 here, it's not that access to God was not open, it's that access to God was not yet open, and there's a massive difference between the two. One commentator said this, said, the not yet sums up the entire Old Testament religion. Why, why? Because the old covenant points entirely to the new covenant. The Bible, loved ones, is one book. It's one book. And we're seeing this right here. Not yet opened, meaning one day it would be opened. The presence of God, relationship with God, would be able to be had for all those by grace through faith. You see, under the old covenant, the priests could not dwell in the holy place. They were shut out from the most holy place. They knew God in some form, but they did not have an intimate relationship with God to truly know him. They were never fully removed from their sin. Their consciences, in verse 9, it says, were never fully clean. See that in verse 9? That cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. They could not and did not dwell directly in the presence of God Almighty. Yes, the priest brought in blood, but it was a blood of limitation. It was the blood of limitation. It was the blood of a goat or a calf. And now look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. That's what we need. That's what we need. They could not do that. But they deal only with external things, with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body and poles until the time of reformation. So stay with me, man. This is getting good. We're going to a beautiful, beautiful spot here. The sacrifices of blood offered in the Old Covenant only covered ritual purity. The sacrifices in the tabernacle in the Old Testament of the Old Covenant could not deal with moral purity. The sacrifices could not change the heart. They could only deal with what's external. They could not change the inner man. They only dealt with what was on the outside. The sacrifices prepared the people to externally worship God, but it did not let them truly access the glory and the presence of God. In the Old Covenant, they could not worship God in spirit and in truth because they did not have God within them to do so. God must be sought at a particular place. One man, once a year, with a temporary sacrifice. This is the blood of limitation. Recognize it, loved ones, because if you recognize the blood of limitation, then you will absolutely rejoice in the blood of redemption. And this is point number three. Rejoice, loved ones, the blood of redemption. So notice what the author of Hebrews is doing. He sets up the Old Testament tabernacle. He moves through explaining the blood of limitation. Why? Because he wants his readers to see what was temporary has now been replaced by that which is eternal. What was insufficient to cover the sins of mankind has now been replaced by the total sufficiency and supremacy of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is where the theology is so brilliant and beautiful and this is what God's word is doing. Look at verse 11. The first word I want you to notice is but. But. That word in scripture can often be one of the most powerful and greatest words. This word right here indicates a contrast, a transition, and a moment of theological glory. Verse 11, check it out. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and, listen, more perfect tent, not made with ants, man, he was sent from heaven. This is why Christmas is so awesome. Christmas is the incarnation. This is heaven come down. This is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, sent to earth ultimately to live a perfect life, to come as the perfect tent, to die the perfect death that we might not have to. Amazing, amazing. What happened right here, listen, through the greater, more perfect tent, not in this creation, verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places. Okay, this is where I just hope you're getting the theology. This is where I just pray. I can't do it, but God can't. That you're getting everything that's happened thus far. You understand. You are picturing the old. You are seeing now the new. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, by means of his own blood. 
his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For with the sprinkling of defiled persons, sinful priests, with the blood of goats and bulls, with the ashes of a heifer, sanctified for the purification of the flesh, outward ceremonial cleansing, how much more? That should be underlined. How much more will the blood of Christ, that should be underlined, who through the eternal spirit, that should be underlined, offered himself without blemish to God, that should also be underlined. Purify our conscience, the whole verse should be underlined, all right? Purify our conscience from dead works. How much more? If the blood of goats does one thing, how much more will the blood of Christ then purify the conscience of the sinner from dead works and to serve? It's awesome. Man, I love theology. To serve the living God. We, we have right here in these verses several beautiful and glorious theological truths that I must have you see. You must see them as we gather near to the end of this powerful message. I have four of them. They'll be on the screen beside me. Here are glorious, powerful truths that relates to the blood of Christ in these verses. Notice this truth. Christ is the perfect high priest. Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest. That's verse 11. Notice in verse 11. No longer a sinful high priest making an imperfect offering through an earthly tent. You see that? Not a sinful man with an imperfect offering through an earthly tent. No, 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 no. Christ appears. He is perfect. He is without sin. He is not of this world. He is of heaven. See, Jesus comes to usher in the very throne room of God. How can he do that? Because he's perfect. He's without sin. He's sent from God. He's never erred. He comes and makes the perfect sacrifice. This is why you and I can't save ourselves. This is why if you're here right now and you think being a good person gets you into heaven, you've been lied to. You've been lied to. Well, I'm a good person. I do good deeds. You need to be perfect. Have you ever sinned once? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You sin millions of times as I have as well. That's why we can't die for ourselves. You need a savior. You need a per- I need a perfect savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He was sent to this earth to become the Lamb of God and become our perfect high priest. Christ alone is the perfect high priest. Number two is this. Christ spills perfect blood. Christ spills perfect blood. Again, verse 12, verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and cows, by means of his own blood. His own blood. So being perfect, notice, entering once for all, holy places. I mean, that, what glory. What beauty. Just think of Good Friday. The eternal Son of God has appeared with the incarnation. He lives with perfect purity. At the appointed time, at the appointed time, he enters into the holy places. He enters in the holy places and he throws down a sacrifice. He throws down a sacrifice that will boggle the human mind and absolutely rock the whole entire spiritual world. He doesn't enter in with the blood of a goat. No, listen, he enters with the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb of God, that is. Look at the text. But by the means of his own blood. Loved ones, we sang it already today. And we're going to sing it again after this. But listen, why is the phrase worthy is the lamb that is slain so powerful? This is why. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Why did John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why did he call him the lamb of God? This is why. He was God's lamb sent to die to make the once and for all sacrifice that no other sacrifice would have to be made ever again that would completely cover all sins of all time for all people who believe by faith that Jesus Christ loved them enough to come for them and die for them. This is the perfect blood of the lamb of God. The high priest would enter once a year and sprinkle blood of an animal on the mercy seat, resulting in a temporary atonement. But what happens when the perfect Son of God pours out his perfect blood for the sins of the world? What happens? I'll tell you what happens. Here's what happens. The the curtain is torn. The curtain is torn from top to bottom. The holy of holies is open. The eternal redemption is now available. Think about that. Think about that. All these hundreds and hundreds of years in the tabernacle system and the temple system and the once a year and one man and temporary atonement and in the cloud and fearing for his life and cannot really access God and everyone else who knows God is there and knows his presence but they can't draw near. They can't draw near. They're living in fear. Then Jesus comes. He enters into the holy of holies 
holies. He gives down his own life. He pays for all sins. The curtain is torn. The presence is now available. I mean, just imagine on Good Friday as the Passover is being prepared on Friday and all the hundreds and hundreds of lambs are being prepared for slaughter. And the priests were in the temple, in the holy place, performing their rituals. Jesus Christ dies, and the earthquakes, and the rock shakes, and the curtain, six, 60 feet high, four inches thick, teared from top to bottom. And you're a priest, you're a priest there, and you see this happen, and you know what this means. At least you know the significance that the Holy of Holies is now visible. Do you faint? Do you die of fright? Do you have enough faith to look and see what happened as the curtain is torn and this sacred spot where one man once a year can barely even look at and you're staring at it now and you know there's a man called Jesus of Nazareth who is dying at this very moment. Do you have enough faith to put the two together? Do you have enough faith to understand his death equaled your chance to access God? Do you run to the cross by faith and say, my life is yours, my life is yours, my life is yours. Save me, O Jesus Christ. Do you have enough faith, like the criminal on the cross, to say, remember me today when you enter into paradise? Do you have enough faith to say, the centurion, surely this is the Son of God. Do you have enough faith to say, I will die for you if I must. Jesus Christ, you are Lord. You are God and you died for my sins. This is what happened when Jesus Christ spilled his perfect blood. If we want to clap, we clap. That's a great thing to clap for. Amen. Jesus is the perfect high priest. He spills perfect blood. And he secures, look at, perfect eternal life. Look at the end of verse 12. Thus securing an eternal redemption. Just look at that. By means of his own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption. Our world is so filled with volatility and instability, and our world is so filled with so much insecurity. Think of how insecure humans are. Think of all the insecurity in this room right now, desperately reaching for a foundational, lasting identity and security. I'll show you security. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who gives security. A security that death has no hold on. A security that can be overcome by nothing. A security that makes you become on the team of God and belonging to the good shepherd who will never, ever let you go. This is the lasting, eternal, redemptive security that is only again found in Jesus Christ. I saw this this week for the first time. It blew me away. I had to share it with you as well. The Holy of Holies in the tabernacle was a perfect cube. It was a perfect cube, height, width, depth, all perfect cube. The new Jerusalem, when it comes down from heaven, is also going to be a perfect cube, the Bible tells us. Length, width, height, just think about that. The Holy of Holies represented, represented the glory of God. One man, once a year, temporary sacrifice. But the Holy of Holies with the mercy seat and the cherubim, the holiness, the glory of God, the very eternity that we have if we believe in Jesus Christ, the new city of Jerusalem will come down as a perfect cube where the presence and the glory of God will dwell perfectly every single day for the rest of eternity for those who give their lives to Jesus Christ. This is what he's done. And what's in the middle of the perfect cube of the new Jerusalem and the perfect cube of the Holy Holies, what's in the middle is the Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one who bridges all of time and all of life and all of eternity. And you're here right now and you need life. You need life in Jesus Christ. You have been sent to hear this message that you might turn from sin and be saved by the one, by the one and only Savior of the world. Again, Jesus Christ who is perfect and spilled his blood because he loves you so much and he offers to you eternal, eternal redemption. Eternal, eternal redemption. And Christ is the only one then, the only one that can do this, that can purify a sinful conscience. The only one. Our world, our world longs for this. The technology, the developments, the medical advances, all this sophistication, the one thing this world cannot solve or figure out is how do we purify the human conscience? All the technology in the world cannot cause a man to be at peace with their maker 
and able to escape the reality of their sin. All the health care in the world will never provide the antidote for the disease of pain and sin within. It'll never do it. It's the guilty conscience that plagues man. Many are here even right now, and you are plagued by a sinful conscience. You are disturbed at the peace that you long for you cannot find. You are disturbed at the reality of the old consequences for your actions that hurt so many people and have hurt yourself, and you cannot escape. You cannot escape the weighing, nagging feeling that is upon you because you desire so much to fill a hole that cannot be filled with the world. The only thing that can fill the hole that's within us, it's God-shaped. It's only being filled by Jesus Christ. This is what plagues us, and yet Jesus Christ fills us. And what do we try to do? We try to smooth our our pain and our struggles with idolatry and self-pleasure and self-entertainment. But it never works, does it? It never works. A week later, a day later, an hour later, we find ourselves saying, I'm not satisfied, I'm not satisfied, I'm not satisfied. Why am I so miserable? It's because you have a longing for the one who created you. And you have a longing to be restored into the very presence of God with an eternal redemption that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only one who can purify your conscience How much more will the blood of Christ, how much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience, purify our conscience from dead works? This is what God does to serve him, to give your life, to surrender to him, to say, oh, oh, the blood. Oh, the blood. Oh, the glory and the beauty and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that has set me free that's purified me, that sends me on to eternity. All the blood. Let's pray. Thank you for the blood, Father in heaven. Thank you for the blood, Lord Jesus Christ. And how awesome right here in our passage, the eternal spirit of God right in the middle of the greatest sacrifice ever given. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God. Oh God, I pray for your glory right now. The blood of Jesus Christ has such an impact upon your church. I pray the blood of Christ, Lord, has educated the uninformed. I pray right now, Lord, that salvation is entering into the hearts and minds of of your church I pray, God, you are calling people to salvation even in our midst right now. Speak to a man at this moment, Lord. Would you draw him to yourself through your gospel in love? Would you speak to many women right now, Lord, in this this room right now? Would you draw them in love to the gospel of Jesus Christ? God, would you speak to a young person, a child, a young adult right now? Would you draw them? to yourself and Jesus Christ in love and he communicates to you man, woman or child and he says I love you, I love you will you not surrender your life to me in this moment will you not give of yourself to receive all that I will give to you but you must let me child you must, you must let me take over you must embrace by faith the fact that my son lived and died and rose again from the dead you must call out for the blood of Jesus Christ God, I pray that you would grow the immature. People here today have never heard a message like this ever. They've never understood how the old relates to the new. They've never seen in this way, Lord, the impact and the glory of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray right now their hearts are just so lit up with, a, with a, an illumination and excitement and a joy and appreciation and gratitude and a sense of worship. God, you will, you will lead them to sing louder than ever before in just a few minutes because they are blown away again at the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. They can't even begin to fathom right now all that you are and what you've done for them. And in their hearts, they are singing and saying, oh, the blood, oh, the blood. And God, for those who have been walking in the faith many for many years, but have drifted from you, it's been a while since they've shed a tear. It's been a long time since their hearts were really turned over with affection for you. The world has gotten in, the lies of the world, materialism and, 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 and consumerism and idolatry has, has, has stolen their first love. I pray in Jesus' name, that ends right now. 
In Jesus' name, that ends right now. And you call them back. And with bended knee, with heads bowed, but with hands raised so high, Lord, and hearts fully open, they say, oh God, turn my heart over to feel the glory again and to see the blood that was spilled for me. Oh God, would you do that upon so many lives here. And I pray, God, for all of us, for all of us, you would stoke the fire and may it burn bright. All because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Stoke that fire, oh God. Call us. Help us to see. Help us to love. Help us to feel. Help us to know how much you love us. Just with heads bowed in this moment right now. And just in the stillness. If you are here at this time in this place and Jesus Christ is calling you to himself and you desire to give your life to him in acknowledgement of his glory and your need for your sins to be forgiven. If that's you here today and you know it and God is speaking to you in terms of salvation and Jesus Christ, I just, I'd love to see your hand. Just to raise your hand that today I receive Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Today, you're here today saying, Jesus Christ, come live in me. Jesus Christ, save me. Jesus Christ, transform me. Jesus Christ. You can just raise your hand where you are. I see many of you Amen. I see you there to my right. I see you in the middle. I see you in the left. You're saying, oh, the blood. Oh, the blood. You, let me just pray for, pray for you, Father, just in this moment. You, you are in control of all things. And I just ask, oh, God, that you would be causing, again, eyes to see and ears to hear and voices to be raised in a way that's never been done before because of the blood of Jesus Christ because of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Oh God, help us. Help us to sing. Help us to rejoice. Help us to give you so much glory for the redemption that is found in you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen, loved ones? Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing this wonderful song now in response.